morning, Calvary. My name is Matthew. I'm on staff here, and I'm so excited to jump into Hebrews 8 with you this morning. We've been in this series, Greater Than, uh, a study of Hebrews looking at how Jesus is greater than anything we could ever encounter or anything that, anyone that we could ever imagine. And we've been looking at how he's greater than angels and, and Moses, and he's our great high priest. And uh, we've been talking specifically about that last part, as Jesus as our high priest for the past couple weeks. Last week, we were in Hebrews 7, kind of the, the uh, big moment of, of Jesus being our high priest, that he is our high priest forever, that he has been established forever, that he is living now to intercede for us on behalf of us, and that he is able to save for us uh, complete, <clears throat> completely. We're in this kind of section in Hebrews in, in chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 that's a really important part through the argument of Hebrews because it's talking about this whole uh, thing of Jesus being our high priest and his ministry of how he saves us. Uh, the first, actually, first five verses of chapter eight talk about this place where he does this. We, we just finished in chapter seven, and then as we turn the page to chapter eight, it's talking about the place in which he ministers. Not like the priests of the Old Testament that they ministered here on the earth in, pl in, in places called the tabernacle or the temple in, in where God's presence was here on earth. He doesn't minister there like they do. Instead, he ministers in the heavenly places, in the true meeting place. And his ministry is, is based around uh, not gifts and sacrifices that the Old Testament priests offered, but instead a final sacrifice that is offered in the heavenly place. This uh, kind of discussion takes place more in chapters 9 and 10. So for our purposes today, we're, we're going to say, hey, tune back in and come hear about that later. We're going to talk more about the covenant that is mentioned in chapter 8. See, this whole system in the Old Testament of priests and uh, temples and meeting places and sacrifices was instituted, was established by the Old Covenant and Jesus is bringing in a new covenant. Uh, he is establishing a new way to connect with him. This is what uh, ch chapter 8, verse 6 says. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Well, I think... So Jesus is establishing this new covenant, and I think before we can talk about that new covenant, we first need to back up and talk about what the old covenant was to understand why his covenant is better. And I think even before that, to take another step back, we should probably make sure we're all on the same page on what is a covenant in the first place. And a covenant, simply put, is an agreement between two parties, two entities, two people, however you want to think about that, uh, two people on how they're going to interact with one another. 
A really simple way to think about it is like a legal agreement. Or, or my wife and I, we are renting a house, and so we uh, signed a lease agreement where we're agreeing that we will pay rent and our property managers will provide a house. If at any point we stop paying rent, they're going to stop providing the house and we'll get evicted. Or, or if they evict us and, and kick us out of the house, we'll, we'll stop paying rent. This, it's this agreement of we will do this, you will do this, and that is the basis for how that, uh, our relationship will, inter- <clears throat> will interact. Covenants also oftentimes have a mediator, somebody who represents one party to the other. I think a, an example, maybe not so awesome, great, but is a lawyer, somebody who represents you to others. And there's problems that fall apart with that, but uh, it's a picture that we can see of, of representation of a mediator in a legal agreement that will have this, uh, I will do this, you will do this, and that's how we'll interact with one another. Covenants are a really important part throughout the story of scripture. There are a few different ones. We talked about one back in Hebrews 6 just two weeks ago, the Abrahamic covenant. It's called that because it was made with this guy named Abraham. See how it's got its name? Uh, Abraham was this guy back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where God came to him and said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants that are as numerous as the stars, and that through your family, I will bless the families of the world. Now, that's a unique covenant because it's, it's not like this, uh, what I just talked about of what a covenant is of I will do this, you will do this, and that's how we'll interact. This is an I will covenant where God is coming and taking the initiative and saying, I'm going to do this regardless of what you do. So there was, there was no agreement between Abraham and God that Abraham had to uphold certain levels of uh, obedience or, or faithfulness or whatever. God was going to do this no matter what Abraham did. That's in contrast to a covenant that we see here in chapter 8, the old covenant. Well, I think uh, to put in some context of what exactly is this old covenant, we can turn to verse 9, which says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this old covenant is when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, which is the time of the Exodus, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt uh, and God sent Moses to bring them out of slavery, to free them and bring them uh, to meet with God. And so we have this covenant, it's, it's oftentimes called the Mosaic Covenant, or sometimes the Sinai Covenant, because Moses was a key player of that uh, covenant and brought them to a place called Mount Sinai. And it is on that mountain that God reveals this covenant to the people of Israel. So Mosaic, Sinai, talking about the same thing. What exactly is this covenant, though? Well, this covenant was a we will covenant, a traditional understanding of of covenant of we will do this and God will do this. And God gave them uh, his commands. He wrote them on stone tablets and and gave, revealed what his uh, will for the people was. And the understanding was that if the people will obey God, follow his commands, listen to him, then God will bless them and bring them into a land and give them 
prosperity and protection. If they will do this, God will do this. And that is how they set up their relationship. And in that covenant is where priests and sacrifice and temple and, and meeting places all come into effect. Uh, but we know what happens throughout the history of Israel. Time and time again, Israel fails to keep their end of the bargain. They continually disobey or rebel or stop listening to or turn to other idols and listen to them instead. They forsake their agreement with God. And this happens for hundreds of years with many different leaders, many different times. Time and time again, these people are turning away from God. And so eventually, God removes his end of the promise. He removes his protection and blessing from them. And the nation of Israel is divided. They are conquered and captured and brought away into exile. The city of Jerusalem, the capital city, is destroyed. They are out of the land in exile. And it is in that moment, the, one of the darkest times in the history of Israel, that God speaks a new covenant, into, in, uh, tells them of a new covenant. He speaks this through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, prophet simply being somebody who uh, communicates to the people on behalf of God. And Jeremiah tells of a time that is coming when a new covenant will come, when God will make a new covenant with, with Israel. And we see this... Uh, as a kind of pointing to that the first covenant wasn't cut in it. It wasn't good enough. There was some fault with it. This is what Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7 says. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, I want to be really careful in, in not understanding that to mean that the, the first covenant, the old covenant, was bad. No, it was an incredibly awesome event in history, in, in human history. This was God stepping in and revealing himself to humanity, of showing who he is, telling them what he cares about. And it served a purpose of showing us our sin and our need for God. One commentator puts it this way, the old covenant was not faulty in itself in as much as it did fulfill the purpose for which it was intended, to quicken the conscience and to convict of sin. But it was faulty in as much as it simply could not take away sin or give the guilty conscience peace. It was faulty because it was incomplete. It was an incomplete copy or shadow of something that was coming. Earlier in, in actually verse 5, when in a different context, talking about the place that the priests are ministering in the, in the earthly places where they, the uh, Old Testament priests can meet with God, uh, the author of Hebrews calls it a shadow and a copy of what was to come, of the heavenly places that Jesus ministers and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but I think it is important and a good analogy for us with the old covenant, that it is a copy and a shadow of what was to come, that it wasn't complete in and of itself, but was pointing to a greater reality that was coming. Another way I think about it that's helpful for me is to think about the sun and the moon 
and how the moon gives light. It reflects light, and we can see uh, in the dark because of it. But it is not light itself. It reflects it from the sun. And so the moon being the old covenant, it reflected light to us to the, of the new covenant's sun. And there is coming a day when the sun will rise and we will have that new covenant and that will be our reality. And I think that's what Jeremiah is talking about and Hebrews 8 is talking about. So we have this old covenant <clears throat> that is good but it, for its purposes, but it has faults. So what is the new covenant? Well, let's look at that. <clears throat> Again, in uh, verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since, is, since it is enacted on better promises. There are a few things with this new covenant. We see that Jesus is the one that is establishing this. Jesus is the one uh, working this covenant out. And it's better, it's greater because it has a greater mediator. That's what we talked about last week in chapter 7, that we have Jesus as our great high priest who mediates for us. But it's also greater because it has better promises. And that's what I want to focus in on this week. What are those better promises? Well, to, to look at that, we're going to look at the quote uh, from Jeremiah in verses 8 through 12. Now, before we jump into that quick sidebar, uh, this quote is actually the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. And if you allow me to geek out for a moment, I find it really fascinating that the longest Old Testament quote is in the book of, that mentions the Old Testament and references it the most. And I think maybe just we're supposed to pay attention to it just a little bit more. Now, some of you might hear me of like, oh, we don't have to pay attention to the other one. Sweet, that's not what I'm saying. We need to pay attention to them all. But maybe because this one is specifically the longest, we should maybe perk up our ears just a little bit more. But let's, let's read it. Uh, verses, starting in verse eight. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The first thing I see in this new covenant is that it is an I will covenant. God is the one that is taking the initiative in establishing this new covenant. I mean, just hear all the different I will statements. I will establish, I will make, uh, I will put my laws into their minds. I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful. I will be their God. God is the one taking the initiative in establishing this covenant. And even more so, God is the one in mediating it in Jesus. Jesus being God himself is our mediator in this new covenant. That this is a covenant that is based on his faithfulness, not ours. 
It is not, I will do this, so God will be our God. It is God's going to be our God, and we can benefit in that covenant. We have that unique relationship with him. I think that's what this is promising, that we are going to have this greater relationship with God, that we will be his people and he will be our God. I think there are three kind of distinctions or not distinctions, aspects to that relationship that are promised here that make up our better promises. The first is that he's gonna write his laws on our minds and on our hearts, that we will know him. And the last is our sins will be remembered no more. Let's jump in and, and break those down a little bit more. That first one, we'll have new hearts, or new minds and hearts. Uh, verse 10 says this, for this is uh, the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. In the old covenant, how, we, how the people got the commands, the laws of God was on stone tablets. God wrote them on stone tablets and gave them to the people. The people would hear these laws from the priests or from Moses or from Aaron or from other Old Testament people. They would hear it externally, hearing uh, from others what the will of, what the commands of God uh, were. It was not an internal. And in the new covenant, that is what God promises This won't be an external system, but instead, I'm going to write my laws on your minds and on your hearts. This becomes an internal promise, and it's, I think, a transformation of our hearts. To me, this echoes another Old Testament promise where God says, I'm going to give you new hearts. This is a shift in our understanding of what it's like to follow God, that it's not an external obedience that, okay, I got the laws externally and I need to show my obedience to him externally, but it's an inward change of desire that we will delight in the Lord in keeping his laws and listening and obeying him, following his commands. And remember, the chief of those is to love God and love others. It's a new way to be human. This happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was here on earth, he was with his disciples, his closest followers, and he told them, hey, I'm going to go away, but when I go away, I'm going to send you a helper, somebody who will come and fill you with power, the Holy Spirit. And when other places in the Bible, we're told when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, Something happens inside of us that we are changed, transformed. He transforms our desires into making us more like Christ, more like him, where we delight in following God because it's a better way to be human. It's a better way to interact with the world. This happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Second promise is that we will know God. Verse 11, uh, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. In the old system, in the old covenant, 
you, to have a relationship with God or to know him, you had to go through the priests. You had to go through somebody else to mediate that relationship for you. There was this one place in the, the temple, in the place of meeting, that uh, God's presence dwelled. And only the high priest once a year could enter into his presence. So there was a, a structure and strict rules and, and rigid uh, system for us to interact with God. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't a personal way to interact with him. In the new covenant, we don't need others to know God. We have that direct access to God because Jesus is our mediator who is God himself. We are given that direct access, that direct knowledge to him. And so we don't need a priest to mediate that relationship. Now, uh, quick sidebar. That's not to say that we still don't need community around us for two reasons. First, there are other places in the Bible that say we need others around us to build us up, to encourage us, to uh, help us understand the mysteries of God. Secondly, I like my job. Uh, going back, though, uh, we don't need others to know God. And this, isn't, this knowledge isn't just a, a, a trivia knowledge. It's, we're not going to become the trivia kings of, of understanding cognitively who God is. No, this is a personal knowledge. I think of my relationship with my wife when I think of this knowledge. Maybe some of you might have uh, experienced this phenomena either with your spouse or your children or your parents or siblings or whoever. But when I, my wife and I first got married, something weird started to happen where we started to get in each other's heads where I'd be thinking, uh, most notably about food, but I'd be thinking about Cold Stone of like, ah, I really could go for some Cold Stone. And she'd pop her head around the corner like, Hey, do you want some cold stone? Let's go get some cold stone. And a like, moment of like, ha, how did you know that? Yes, I want cold stone. Let's go. But that's weird. Get out of my head. And it even got to the point where there was one time she texted me like, oh, I'm coming home from work. And I knew on her route there was a cold stone. And so I immediately started sending the, sending the signals. Hey, I want some cold stone. And later on that night, I was eating some cold stone. But it's even more of us than just getting on the same page or this flippant knowledge, but it's a deep personal knowledge. The more I get to know my wife, the more I understand how she interacts with this world, how she loves uh, God and, and loves others and how, what she's passionate about, what breaks her heart, what she's excited for, how she wants me to load the dishwasher. I see her more and understand her more. And the more I know her, the more I love her. And I think that is a picture of our relationship with God. The more we know him, the more we will love him. This is a deep personal knowledge that wasn't available before, but is available now. And it's available to everybody, from the least of them to the greatest, so I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what, uh, how, what you've accomplished, what you haven't, whoever you are, the king of the universe is inviting you to know him. And how awesome is that? Last promise, the one that makes this all possible is our sins will be remembered no more. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. We're going to talk 
more about the how Jesus does this in chapters nine and 10. So make sure you come for that. That discussion is awesome. It is so cool to see how God set that up. Uh, Really, I encourage you to tune back in for that. But for today, what I want to mention, what I want to focus on with that is under the old system in the old covenant, there was a yearly ceremony that had to take place for them to take care of their sins, a yearly reminder of their sins and inability to follow God. In the new system, Jesus did it once and our sins are gone. He has established a a sacrifice that takes our sins away, that we are forgiven and our sins are forgotten. This is how we can draw near to God, how we can be his people, how we can have this unique relationship with him because of uh, our sins being forgotten. We are able to have new hearts, uh, that he's able to write his laws and commands on our minds and our hearts. We are able to know him personally because our sins are gone. Jesus is the one that establishes this new covenant, and it's there for anyone and everyone who believes in him. If you've never made that decision, but you want to, don't go home today without talking to somebody. Come talk to me. Talk to anybody with a name tag on. Talk to somebody who brought you. Don't go home, though, without talking to somebody. This week, as I've been studying this passage and and working through it and and having uh, this greater understanding of who Jesus is and how great he is, I started asking the question, how is this impacting my life? How is it transforming who I am? If I have this new privileged relationship with God, how has it changed me? And I started uh, thinking through of, of, I think sometimes I take this for granted, I take my relationship with God for granted that I I can know him personally. I don't think about that all the time in my interactions with my family or or with my neighbors or coworkers. I don't grasp that all the time. And friends, this is the basis for what we do as a church, but also as, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. This is why we do what we do. This is why we do that mission, building Christ-centered, because he is our great high priest, the mediator of this new covenant, that we love God and love others because he has written his commands on our minds and on our hearts, and we have an inward desire to, to follow them. This is why we make disciples, empower leaders, and multiply churches, because if we really know God, we know his heart breaks for the world. He, it breaks for our neighbors, our coworkers. And so I'm going to go because my heart is broken with him. I'm going to tell them about this great God who loves them and wants to know them. I'm going to go and, and want to see the church, the kingdom of God multiplied because I know God and I love him. Because my sins are forgiven and I want everyone to know that. And I want to live like that. Like out of that reality, I want my life to be shaped. And I think if I'm honest with myself, I can't always say that that is transforming my life. 
I think I take that for granted sometimes, that I'm not walking in light of that new covenant. Are you? So spend some time this week. Spend some time with Jesus asking, Lord, how are you changing my life? How have you written your laws on my heart? How can I know you more? Friends, it's been an honor to be with you this morning. I want to pray for us as we end our time together. But I want to end with this, that our hearts have been changed. Our, our minds and hearts have been changed. We are God's people that we can know him because our sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. You are so kind to us that you would establish this new covenant with us, that you would enter into this relationship, not based on us, but based on you. And how awesome is it to know who you are, to have that direct access to you. And so would you uh, change our lives, Lord? Would we live in a way that reflects our relationship with you, that we would be your people and you would be our God? We love you. In your name, amen.